Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, has to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. Seventeen years later, Hal Sutton is the Players' Champion. Hey everyone, welcome to another Be The Right Club Today podcast. How you were uh, you were away last week, what were you up to? I uh, went and did a couple of outings. I went to Firestone and uh, played an outing with Hale Irwin and Tom Kite and Larry Nelson and Peter Jacobson and awesome. Gary Koch. And then uh, did another outing while I was up there, which was for the Ronald McDonald House in Cleveland, which has been around for 40 some odd years. And um, Mike Kleeg started that a long time ago and it's been an incredible fundraiser for the Ronald McDonald House and he passed away a couple of months ago and so it was a tribute to him in many ways uh, uh, he was a mentor to many people in uh, Cleveland and uh, to be at the dinner that night and hear all these grown men talk about how he had mentored them both personally and professionally and how much he meant to them he was a you know a pillar in the community of Cleveland and uh, meant so much to so many people. So that was a big loss, but uh, it will continue on. His legacy will continue. Such a great cause. Such a great cause. And, you know, they show videos of what it's meant to people, families and, you know, in crisis, you know, when, when your child is sick, it's, it's crisis. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I have to ask, because everybody's everybody's interested. You played twice. How did you? Uh, I know you don't you, you don't play much, but how, how'd you how'd you hit it? Well, I tell you, I I don't play much. And the first day we played was a golf course I haven't seen, and I walked, and the wind was blowing about thirty miles an hour. Welcome so back. welcome back, Hal. <laughs> but anyway, it was funny. I said to uh, Hale Irwin and I were sitting together, and I said something to him about, "Do you play much golf anymore, Hale?" And he said, "No." Nah. I said, "Why not?" He said, "Cause." 76 wasn't any fun then, and it's still not any fun. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good response. That is, that is great. And it's, it's actually a you know, perfect segue into the, into the podcast today about managing expectations. Yeah. Um, how do you, kind of off the, a little bit off the cuff question, but how do you, and a Hell Irwin and a Peter Jacobson and a Larry Nelson, how do, you, how do you handle expectations now coming from a place where you, you, know, you played at such a high level for so long? I actually have a harder time handling it now than I did whenever I was younger. Uh, and I think the reason why 
is because I don't do enough about trying to make my game better now. Yeah. And at least so back then you're working on at it. At least back then I was working on my yeah. game all the time. Now I'm working on everybody else's game and and mine gets no attention, but yet I go out on the golf course and I still have a reputation I want to live up to. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I can't live up to that re- right. reputation anymore. Right. And that's frustrating. Sure. Um one of the things that I think is so fascinating about what we're going to talk about today is just how so many people have such a misconception of what is real with stats and what you know the best players in the world are actually doing. It's it's something we see and hear all the time. You know, parents thinking that their kids should make every five footer that they have or um, hit it to a certain a certain proximity to the hole from a certain distance and that's going to be a, a you know a heavy topic today for us but you know i, I kind of joked with you before we started today if i would have if i would have had some of these stats that they have now i would have been you know i'd have still been hard on myself but i i would have my targets would have definitely changed and this goes back to a lot of what scott fawcett says um but i i know i would have allowed myself i would have been I would have been easier on myself when I hit bad shots. I, I, I know that for sure. Well, you know, I one of the things that I've said around here a lot of times is I only, you know, Tiger frustrated all of us when he told us he beat us with his C game. And, you know, the world heard that. The rest of the players on the tour heard that and thought that was insulting yeah, in a way. Yeah. It was really what he was saying is I manage my game better than I normally do. And that led me to say to you, I, I don't think I played my best but two or three times a year. And that didn't always equate to a win. Yeah. You know, so you need to think about that and what I spent most of my life doing on the tour. And let me make sure you understand that most of my life on the tour, I managed what I had, which was less than I wanted. And so one of the things that I would appeal to everybody out there to do is to make sure you inventory your game and manage what you have. And, you know, I don't think, you know, stats has allowed us to do that better but the normal person out there you don't have all these stats you don't know you're not you probably don't even inventory around when you get through and say well i only had you know four putts inside 20 feet well and it's always these generic stats like oh i had 34 putts today and then you look back and it's like oh well i hit 16 greens and the closest birdie putt i had was 20 feet like you're destined to have that many putts right the other thing and and again this is you know it's kind of a a stat that you're not super proud of but at the same time i think it puts everything into perspective you had a hall hall of fame career you won 14 times on the pga tour and you played in i think we looked up the stat at one time you played in 700 plus events or whatever it was and you missed like 300 plus cuts and it's like again that was like when i first played on the mini tours i was like if i don't win it was it was a failure and if i missed the cut i needed to change like i i had to go out there and be successful every week and it just doesn't exist and so you know, we have to parallel that, in my opinion, to these amateurs and to these kids at home that are, are listening at home or, or that we work with. That like, guys, you're, it's just impossible to play well week in and week out. Tiger was the only one that, that came close to doing it in 2000 and then a little run in like 07, 08. But even even then, he still didn't he didn't win every event. He just yeah. didn't. Well, Tiger's the only guy that ever played the game that didn't have a bad year. Yeah. 
I mean, when you look back, all the great yeah. players, including Jack Nicholas, yeah. he had a few bad years. Yeah. You know, and I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was. Well, it was before his. It would have been a couple of years before he won the Masters in '83 or '4. Well, right? I was but, thinking it was like '70, '78, '79, and '80. But I'm. I, he won the U.S. Open in '80. Uh, I, we should have that exact stat. But I, anyway, he had a couple of bad years. Right. And uh, you look back at Tiger's career, he didn't, uh, you know, he was almost top 10 on the money list every year that he played. I mean, when you're on ESPN for missing the cut, you yeah. know, you, you've been playing really good. You know, you yeah. never see, ESPN never runs Dustin Johnson missing the cut or, or even like Phil Mickelson missing the cut. It's just not news. And it was when he did. Well, I mean, He's not standard. Yeah. You can't even com – no one can be compared to Tiger Woods. You know, it was unfair. I mean, I'm going to say this publicly. I was compared to Jack Nicklaus, and that was unfair. Yeah. I mean, an unproven person. I mean, you, you can't put that sort of thing on people. Right. And, you know, we see it, like you said, we see parents doing that to their children all the time. My dad read that, and he thought what every other parent – thought whenever they read that it's like oh my god i gotta really put the heat on how i can't let him up yeah and managing expectations yeah managing it's, it's, yeah it's i mean brutal. it was all of a sudden his expectations went from here to here yeah because of what somebody else said yeah i mean let's just let's let the water flow where the water flows stick to the process same yeah. thing tiger same thing you know jordan talked about it a lot um instead of focusing on the result focusing on what could happen you got to stick to the process you know the rest of the, the podcast is going to be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about a lot of these different stats and then, you know, get your take and we'll, we'll talk about, it. so they're going to, it's going to get a little heavy into some of these numbers. Um, we got all these numbers are, you can find them on the PJ tour website. They PJ tour does a great job of, of, you know, allowing you to go in and look at what you want to look at. And honestly, it's fascinating to me from a couple different areas. One from a brand awareness standpoint or an inventory awareness standpoint, something Hal talks about a lot in that, Go look at your favorite player and look at look at his brand. Look at where he's awesome at and look at where he struggles at. And you can kind of see this ebb and flow or this balance to 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 what he does. And when he when he's great with his good, he wins. When he or if he's unbelievably great with his weakness, he wins. Um, but to your point, like you could be your your calling card was your ball striking, and you could have hit it on a dime one week and finish fifth because you didn't putt quite as well or you caught a couple bad breaks or you know or whatever it is and so it goes back to the saying of you don't run into winning winning runs into you and you just can't force the issue and that's what i keep seeing with a lot of these stats like there's just from a lot of these distances and a lot of these numbers you cannot force you know a round peg into a square hole and if you do you're going to make a lot of big numbers every time i force something i found myself in trouble and you know every time i stuck to the process and was patient enough to stick to the and that's a big word i hope y'all heard what i said patient enough because we our expectation expectations causes us to be impatient yep. and patience is a big quality to have when it comes to a golfer for sure i mean when i watched jack nicholas play he looked like the most patient player i had ever seen now tiger's a little bit different tiger doesn't look patient yep. sometimes but it's because he's so powerful and and he would wouldn't you say he put on his patient more more of a Jack Nicholas look when he ran off and got a lead oh yeah and then he kind of oh, cruised yeah. around and and he was super super patient and and didn't really force any force the issue hardly at all at that point well I would say that Tiger 
never lost track of wanting to win. I've never seen anybody play that wanted to win all the time. And the rest of the people knew they couldn't win all the time. And, you know, he told Curtis Strange in that interview that you you may think I'm crazy, but I'm trying to win every tournament. He played like that. He sure did. All right, so let's uh, let's get started with this. Um, these stats are are pretty heavily based in ball striking because I think some of these are just they're they're going to make you think. And we wanted to start there. We're going to talk about putting a little bit too at the end, but uh, we're, we're going to start with ball striking. We're going to start with with shorter distances. So the first stat I have written down is approach shots from the fairway from 100 to 125 yards. Okay, I love this one because everybody out there has these distances. Mm-hmm. If we're talking 250, it's not really fair because a lot of guys can't hit it that far. But from 100 to 125 yards, just about everybody can get some wedge or nine iron to that distance, and the tour players have have sand wedges. PJ Tour average from 100 to 125 yards in the middle of fair or in the fairway is 19 feet 10 inches, and all these stats are from two th- from 2020. So from last, we did we did all these from last year. PJ Tour average is 19 feet 10 inches, and the leader last year was 14 feet 11 inches. So these are the best ball strikers in the world, and the tour average is 19 feet 10 inches. So first thought off the top of your head, what does what does that mean to you? Well, you know, I always felt like if I could hit the the ball the distance that I wanted, the days that I hit it straight, then I hit it close. Yeah. What that means to me is is that they probably hit it the correct distance most of the time. They were just left or right of the flag. Now, that could be from where they aim the ball, yep. or that could be from a flaw in the club face yep. or the path. Yep. And, you know, you know, they've got different lies. You know, one of the things y'all don't take into consideration is every practice tee that you practice on is flat. Yep. And, you know, whatever the wind is doing, it's going to be constant enough when you're practicing that you can kind of plan on that. So you can look real good when you're practicing. You go out on the golf course, you get downhill lie, uphill lie, ball above your feet, ball below your feet. That changes everything. So to keep defending the PJ Tour player a little bit, where does your – talk about a little bit of the, you know, where the pins were. or You know, we're – like when we were at the U.S. Open with Gerline – there were there was like one pin that was five steps off the edge. Everything else was inside of that. It was three or four. Almost every pin was on on edges. Typical for tour events. Everything on the edge. Yep. Especially with a wedge in your hand. On holes that you know par yeah. fives that you couldn't get to into, or short par fours. They were gonna they were gonna. So so then let me ask you this. In your opinion, if 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 you look at this stat and say okay, you put the pin in the middle of the green. What do you think average goes down to? 15 feet? Six, 14 feet? I think it goes down down a little bit. Do you think that this average is skewed a little bit just because of pins? Uh, a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but um, I don't think it's going to matter as much on proximity to the hole. But I think it'll matter a lot in greens and regulation. Okay. So, so a couple takeaways from this for me is... Um, Number one, I think that, and, and well, I know that a lot of our better junior players would would lose their mind if that when they hit a wedge shot to twenty feet. Yeah. The other thing I think a lot of people don't realize too is that 
you know, a lot of times, I don't know if a lot of people realize just how far 20 feet is, you know, like just being able to walk off. A lot of people think, oh, that's 12 feet when in fact it's more like 20 or some right. people are, are vice versa. So I think a lot of people's depth, depth perception on that is, is wrong. But, you know, I, I joke with a lot of, a lot of our better players. I'm like, look, if you hit the first 10 fairways and you hit the first 10 green or, or the, of the fairways you hit, you hit all 10 greens and you hit your wedge, you had a hundred yards and you hit your wedge to 20 feet again, you would be losing your mind. You get up on the next hole and it's a back left pin with water left. You've got a hundred yards in. What are you? What are? What are most of the players trying to do? They're going to take dead aim at it. Then they pull it a little bit. They make double, and here we go. Now we're on a downward spiral. Spiral, right. where again, I think I think it's so important for everyone at home to just understand that from a hundred to one hundred twenty-five yards, if you've got a back left pin and there's trouble left hit it in the middle of the green and don't allow yourself to make a mistake there because again these guys on tour aren't hitting it as close as you think they are no they're not and here's one of the other facts you know a lot of what you think about tour players is based on what you see on tv and what you see on tv is the last two or three groups that are playing the best well they're bringing the average down the guys that have got the average up there and you know some of the guys that teed off early their average is 25 feet. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So another stat that's really interesting on this, we'll stick to the 100 to 125 yards from the rough. So fairway was 19 feet, 10 inches, just just under 20 feet. And leader was 14. From the rough, it goes to 31 and a half feet and it goes to 18 feet for the leader. So the average is 31 and a half. The leader's at 18. Thoughts? Uh Well, obviously, it's harder to get it close out of the rough. Uh, a little bit of a surprising status: the leader is eighteen feet. Yeah, you know, it didn't go up nearly not, as much not, as not, yep, that's right. as the other. So, uh, you know, I think the point is when when you're good at something, it shows. Yeah. You know, and well, and and you talk about stacking again, stacking good shot on top of good shot. I think the, I think that we could go the other way around and say, don't stack bad shots on top of bad shots. So not saying that a rough uh, missing the rough is a bad shot, but if you do hit it in the rough, you know, let's try and get something positive and get the momentum going back on our side rather than again, compounding mistakes, get the dang thing on the green, get it moving. Well, you know, I, that was me. Every time I hit it in the rough, I wasn't thinking close to the hole. I was thinking, get it on the green somehow. And, um, you know, I, you got flyers coming out of the rough. Oh, yeah. You got all sorts so, of things so that make it so much harder to judge. Correct, especially now the ball didn't spin as much. Right. Okay. So, so staying on this, greens hit and regulation percentage from 100 to 125 yards is 75 percent average. So they're missing one out of four greens from that distance. Well, that's where, in most cases, that's because the pin is tucked and they're seeking the pin firing at it, yeah. they're firing at the pin you know and you know when the pandemic came along they took all the flags and some of my friends that play over here at champions i said you're going to start hitting more greens and shooting lower scores yeah they didn't even know where the hole was they took the pin out i said because you don't know where it is you're going to hit it in the center of the green and every one of them played better not a single one and guess what as soon as they started putting that pin back in the green they started firing back at the flags and now they're missing greens, and, and it goes back to again. You know, we we're fan we're we're a fan of of Fawcett stuff, but it goes back to this idea of the shotgun approach. Like they're we're just again, you're seeing it with some of these stats, but we're no one is quite good enough to keep from having a miss that's a little long left or a little short right. And so, again, you aim at a at a front right pin and miss it just a little bit. It comes up short, just like we saw in the playoff with um, 
with uh, it was Harris English, right? With Kramer, yeah, yeah with Harris in the second second hole of, of on eighteen, the second playoff hole, he's got hundred yards in, plugs it in the bunker. Like he he literally he it was an unbelievable up and up, but could have lost the tournament. Saw it again with um, um, with what's her face, the Lexi Thompson at the at the US San Open. Francisco, yeah, yeah, at Olympic. I mean, she's got eighty five yards in in the pins front, and she missed hit it just a little bit and left in the bunker and ended up missing the playoff. And so it's you know. It's the old adage aimed to the middle of the green, but again, if you're a ten handicap out there, take the literally like what House said, take the flag out, get it on the green. Because the, the the other thing, we don't have a whole lot of stats on the short game, but tour the the tour average on on getting up and down from thirty yards and in is is like just under sixty percent. So if you miss the green, or if tour players miss the green, they're only getting up and down just just over half the time. So if you miss the green from five yards or ten yards or fifteen yards, like now you're going to chip it to eight feet, and your make percentage from eight feet is fifty percent. Like you're, the odds are are not in your favor on these things. So as 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 tempting as that back left or back right pin is, you know, get it on the surface, have a fifteen footer, and take your chances. Well, it goes back to many things, knowing your game and then being patient, playing to your strengths and away from your weaknesses. Nobody did that better than Jack Nicklaus. So here's a stat. It's relative to par. So approaches 100 to 125 yards relative to par. So if they... If they had a, if you had a hundred yard or a hundred shots on the PJ Tour last year from this distance and you part every one of them, you would be even par. Okay, tour average is 0.15 shots under par. So fifteen under par on a hundred. Hundred shots, so they're birdieing fifteen percent of the time. Again, if I when I was twenty five years old, I would have never guessed that number was that low. I would have guessed they birdied half half. It's a hundred yard wedge shot. How, you know, they're that good. You guys were that good. You'd hit it to five feet, and make your putt every time. It just doesn't. So the, you know, let's clarify that there were weeks yeah. that you beat that average. Yeah. I mean, there were weeks that with your wedge, you know, you get it inside a hundred yards. It seemed like every time you did, you had a ten footer. Yeah. But that's that one or two weeks or that you're on the money. Yeah. You know, and they show you those weeks and they don't on the other weeks. That's right? exactly right. And then from the rough, so that first one, so there you guys were 0.5, under par. So fifteen percent of the time you made birdie. The leader was was thirty eight percent. So just under forty percent, they're making birdie from hundred to one hundred twenty five yards. So a great wedge play, a Vaughn Taylor type, a Steve Stricker type. From the rough, tour average is is basically level, but it's 0. .05 over par. So from the rough, from 100 to 125 yards, they're playing at over par average. Leader was just under 30% under par. It's interesting. So it's so interesting. I, I told you this multiple times, but I wish I'd have these stats just to see like if Chase, if you hit it in the rough, you got 100 to 125 yards in in the rough in general but just like you said get it on the green don't don't try and take on anything more than you need to because you just can't control the golf ball that way well you know i'm sitting here thinking so what does all this mean yeah and i think it's time to address that you know to me does this mean take the heat off of yourself for being as good as you can be it has nothing to do with that does this mean I need to be in the game on each and every shot if I want to be as good as I can be? That's exactly what it means. Sure. I mean, you've got to assess each shot. What are the possibilities here? And that's what Scott Fawcett, you yep. know, basically preaches. Mm-hmm. You know, understand the risk-reward of each shot, not just occasionally. Yep. 
and don't get caught with your pants down, so to speak, yep. not thinking about what is the right play. Yep. And that's what tour players do better than most everybody else. Once they get out there and they realize they got to make money at this, yep. you know, or if they don't, they're going to spend a bunch of money and make nothing. Sure. Uh, they start to learn to, hey, I got to manage each and every shot. Did Raymond Floyd ever talk to you? Because you mentioned for you new listeners out there, how mentioned how kind of Raymond took him under his wings starting out, took you under your wings starting out. Um, did, did Raymond ever talk to you about, I don't think I've ever asked you this question, did he ever talk to you about, you know, making pars versus trying to make birdies versus not making bogeys? Did you guys ever, can, did, you, did you ever recall a conversation about, about that specifically? No, not, not specifically about that, but. You know, I had a stretch uh, in 85 and 86 where I won like five or six times in a 10-month period of time. Yeah. And I had a caddy at the time. It wasn't Freddie, my regular caddy. It was another guy who was a really good player. And he basically had this thing. He'd pick out every hole and he'd say, how par is golden here this week? No matter what you hit off the tee, no matter what you hit into the green, par is golden. That's what he used to tell me. And he reminded me of that before I ever got to that hole. You know, there were holes that I was, you know, felt freer to challenge. Yeah. And then there's other holes that I had no business challenging. Right. He recognized that and reminded me of that before I ever got. So my shot selection on each one of those holes was conservative. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't trying to tear a pin out of the hole or I wasn't trying to hit it as far as I could necessarily. Right. Trying to make sure that my my approach shot was from the fairway sure. and at the center of the green. And I, I think it's it's interesting when we have 10 handicaps come in here and talk about how they, you know, they need to make more birdies or they don't they don't make they don't make enough birdies. And I, I kind of want to, again, push them towards saying, no, you make too many bogeys. Right. My dad would always say this, and it used to drive me crazy. Chase, even par is a good score. Even par is a good score. You go shoot even par, you know. And, and at the time, too, they'd always, do the, they'd always do the money leader, or the money, how much money you would win if you shot even par at every turn, every tour event. Now it's getting getting to be where you're kind of borderline, but there's always an event, a U.S. Open, a British Open, a, the majors, you always do a little bit better than you would at, at a typical event. But, again, I go back and look at how many rounds I shot 70 with two doubles or I shot... 69 with a triple or like just these big mistakes because i was always i was always kind of pedal to the metal and and i could shoot some low numbers but again i just wasn't as i needed to be more boring and all the guys i played with in college that were great that turned out to be great i remember chris stroud i played a played three or four times with chris i was like he's so boring he hits it down the fairway hits on the green he didn't i mean i felt like i could i could hit it as good as him when i was hitting it good and could do all this stuff but he just he 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 wore the golf course out because he never put himself in too much trouble play a lot like you did you know just kind of hit it here hit it there see if you can get a putt to fall see if you can take advantage of length on a par five take advantage of a wedge wedge in your hand but don't put yourself in harm's way too much well and just because we say that doesn't mean you're always going to avoid trouble uh i'm a good example of that is when i beat tiger at tpc i tripled 17 on saturday i had a four shot lead hit a good shot into the 17th green carried it a foot too far Bounced. Bounced over the green, went in the water. That's just something that happens at TPC. When you're in the last group yep. and you get there on 17, it could be hard when the pin's in the back. Sure. Didn't keep me from winning the golf tournament, but, you know, you're not going to take out everything uh, just because you understand these stats. Yep. Yep. You still, 
you know, there's luck. There's there's a lot of things that go into golf, and uh, you make decisions as best you can when it comes to risk and reward, yep. and you just try to manage it one shot at a time. Each each shot is its own special computer little equation. You send in the data and it spits it out and you try to execute that to the best of your ability. You know, that's really a great way to put it. Some people don't put anything in before they hit the shot. And that's something right there. Y'all all need the difference between a tour player and an average player is he's got a caddy that's reminding him of things. He is reminding himself of things. He's got got his own stats. He's got his own stats. He knows what he's capable of, and he's making a decision each before each shot yeah. based on that. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, everybody out there listening, you're not making a decision before you hit every shot. You're just leaving it to chance. Yeah. And I can tell you, you're not going to get much out of it that way. Yep. Yeah. And then I think the the next thing that's got to be said that we've hinted at a little bit is is assessing the outcome after the fact and saying. Are you a terrible wedge player or are you a terrible putter or what, you know, the inventory side of this whole thing that's so important? Or are you hitting it to 15 feet or hit a bunch of wedge shots to 15 feet and you're actually a pretty good player, wedge player? You just have, have unrealistic expectations thinking you should hit it to five feet on every hole or on every wedge shot. And it just, again, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. You know, one of the things that I want to bring up because of making decisions before each shot, if you don't make a decision before each shot, there's no failure. But if you make a decision, you want to call the pocket. If you don't hit the pocket, then you're going to have to deal with, I didn't do what I tried to do. Mm -hmm. And most people don't want to deal with that. So if they don't make a decision, they never have to deal with that. Exactly right. So next step would be 150 to 175. So for tour players, we're looking at pitching wedges to seven irons. Some are kind of, and, and most guys are hitting eight iron from 175 now. PJ Tour average is 27 feet, 9, nine inches, and the leader was at 22 feet, 11 inches. So what, this is from the fairway, 150 to 175 yards. Again, 28 feet and 23 feet. Well, the further out they get, it's gonna the keep, gonna proximity keep, to the hole is going to get further. Going to keep moving that way. Um, so for you, you know, you're at the famous shot. How far did you have in on, on 18 at? 178 yards. Yeah, so it was just a good, good solid six iron. It was a good six iron for me. Imagine that they're hitting eight irons now, but yeah, good solid six iron. About the same, about the same loft. Um, how? One of the things you you really got me thinking about when we first got together at Big Easy was was moving the flag stick. Talk a little bit about because because again, to me, you know that stat says they're only hitting it to 28 feet. So you know, again, if a, if a, if the flag's back left at Sawgrass on 18 and you got six iron in, I mean, you need to be aiming 35, almost 40 feet right of that flag. So how did you do that? Because a lot of play, a lot of people can't do it. They have well, a hard time doing it. Yeah, a lot of people don't do that. And here's the other thing. They sometimes do that in their mind, and then their last look, they look at the flag instead of where the decision that they made to hit so it. So subconscious, it's left, and they'll pull it. They'll yeah, pull it online exactly. or overcook it or whatever. So, I mean, your brain is going to try to do whatever you feed it last. That's basically yep. the truth. So you can make a decision to aim at front right and the pin is back left. And if your last look is at the back left pin, your brain says, hey, hey, I know you said you want to hit it over here to the right, but the pin's on the back left. Conflicting signals. So you're going to overcook it and, yep. and get it back there or pull it too much yep. trying. 
And, you know, that's what I mean by being decisive. Whatever you're going to do, make a decision and stick to the plan. Don't decommit. And I'm not even sure if that's a word or not, yeah, right. but don't decommit. And we see this all the time in putting, you know, a person gets up or putt, it's breaking three or four inches to the right. They get up there and they don't quite, you know, they don't see that much break or whatever. And they kind of just decommit, deaccelerate and miss it low, right? I mean, whatever you decide, see it through to the end. Some interesting stats here with the 150 to 175. Um, the relative to par stats, so how you know, hundred shots, how are they? They're about they're about level par. They're point zero three shots under par from the fairway. Um, they're almost point two shots over par. So twenty percent of the time from one fifty to one seventy five they're gonna make bogey. Eight out of ten they're gonna par. Um, the other other twenty, you know, other two times they're gonna make bogey. Um, I thought that was I thought that was pretty interesting. And and this is one thing Scott when I saw his first his first seminar he said just how penal the rough is how much less control we have we have out of the rough um birdie or better percentages uh they're they're not that far off from one 100 to 125 they're just under 15 percent. so those numbers were were pretty similar they're they're not way better with wedges than they are with a, a nine iron they're, they're still their scoring clubs as as we like to say um but again they're not hitting it to five feet on every every shot from 150 they're just not you know that's what they long to do that's what they practice to do but that's not what anybody ever does and you know i'll never forget uh the story that jackie burke told me about when butch Harmon first called him about tiger woods tiger was going to go see butch and butch and jackie burke were pretty good friends and the story's been told true or not uh but butch called jackie and asked him what he would do if Tiger called him. He said, I'd put a bit in his mouth. And Butch says, what do you mean by that? He said, he's got to control his short irons. He can't control his short irons. And, you know, those are your scoring irons. And you need to give yourself as many opportunities as you can out of that. But as you can see, the best players in the world are not giving themselves the scoring opportunities that you think they're giving themselves. Didn't you say one time that you you paid more attention to greens hitting regulation than you did just about any other stat? Wasn't that kind of your that was my that was my barometer of whether I was managing my game correctly. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt like if I hit enough greens, I was going to get enough opportunities yeah. over the whole course of a year. I'd have opportunities to win. Yeah. But if I weren't, I wasn't hitting greens. You know, I wasn't the best chipper in the world, and so I didn't need to put myself in that situation. Sure. Again, sixty percent of the time you're going to get it up and down. Um, interesting stat on green green set. So the in 2020 PJ Tour average for green set regulation was 66 percent. So roughly they hit 10 between 10 and 11 greens around. Um, and I think that to me, that was always my, you know, the easier the golf course, I was always trying to shoot for 13 or 14. I was trying to get to kind of the, to that level. Obviously some of the, you guys played harder courses. And so some of them, you're going to have longer clubs and all this stuff than some of the guys at home. But, but again, if you're a 15 handicap trying to get to 10, get on the green, you know, try to get to, try to get from six greens around to eight greens around and your scores, it'll be hard for you not to, for your scores not to come down. Well, when I was, you know, playing well. 13 greens was the barometer that I had. If I hit 12, I was a little disappointed. If I could hit 13, I knew I was going to have a lot of birdie putts. Sure. 
and and the leader in green set in 2020 was at 74 so roughly 14 15 greens just under just under 15 so you're you're right on on track with that interesting stat I, th I thought this was pretty pretty interesting average putting distance for all one putts so in 2020, if you were a PGA Tour player and you one-putted the green, they would enter in all those numbers and then come out with an average. The average was 7 feet 3 inches. The leader was at 9 feet 1 inch. Not 15 feet. You're just not making a ton of those putts. On the best, and these are the best putters in the world and on the best greens in the world. Yeah, but that's all of them. Yep. And the reason why it's skewed in your mind is because TV is showing yep. you those guys. The cool the, stuff. The yep. cool stuff. The 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 TV worthy stuff. Yep. You know, if TV could only show the first group that goes out on Sunday, you wouldn't be nearly as impressed. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Um, three putt avoidance over 25 feet tour players, three putt 10% of the time. The leader was at 3%. Thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. Over story. 25 feet, over 25 feet. So it's a little, little bit, uh, generalized meaning, that could include a 75-footer. But anything over 25 feet, tour average, three-putt was about 10%. So this is the one hard part with greens hitting regulation. If you're hitting 16 greens around, but you have 35 and 50-footers all day, you're going to you're gonna three-putt some. You just can't. You know, one of the things that I like to do, sometimes I'll ask a kid in here if they ever three-putt. Yeah. I don't like it when they tell me they never three-putt because that means they're not trying to make the first putt sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, you can't avoid three-putting. Yeah. If you play enough golf, you're going to three putt. And especially if you try to make the first putt. And, you know, one of the, I just did a bunch of putting lessons while I was gone on this last trip. And I talked about your intent. And I had 15 footers that I was having people try to putt. Almost no one told me that they intentionally made a decision to try to make the putt. None of them wanted to make it. They just didn't want to three putt. Yeah. And the chances of you making it, if you're not trying to make it, yeah. is slim and none. Slim's out of town. Yeah. And, you know. Well, try, well, we talk about this too. Trying not to do something versus trying to do right, something. Right, like right. Tiger tried to make every 15-footer he had. Yeah. He I mean, was, he was trying to hit it on his correct line and his correct speed. That's exactly or right. intended line and intended yeah. speed. I mean, he had a plan and he tried to execute the plan. Yeah. So to that point, perfect segue. Putts. This was interesting too. Putts made over twenty feet per event. So it's a four-day event. A uh, number of putts on average players made over twenty feet. The average was one point two. So over a four-day event, seventy-two holes, they were making one point two putts over twenty feet. The leader was double that. The leader was at two point five. And think about how many putts y'all see people make on TV on Sunday afternoon. They make everything. They, they make it looks everything. like they're making everything. Yeah. But the truth is, the overall truth of what happened on Sunday is more to that average right that's, there. That's exactly right. Um, the last putting stat I have is make percentage from eight feet, which we've talked about on here. Average is just over 50%. So that's our 50-50 number when it comes to you know, where you're supposed to make half of your putts. It's right around eight, eight and a half feet. So the one thing that that doesn't include is brake lines or you know brakes. Yeah, so that's just of, a... You it's, know, it's all eight footers. It's all eight footers. So, you know, if every putt they hit was uphill and straight, that percentage would be a lot Probably higher than that. Higher, yeah. But that's not golf. We all know that. It's kind of like I mentioned before. Not all of these wet shots are off of flat lies and knowing exactly where the wind is going like you practice every day. 
So the golf course is completely different than the practice tee. And a lot of things that people are basing what they do on the golf course is like in here. Yep. It's a perfect environment in here. So takeaways. Um, let's let's kind of recap this a little bit. Um, for a mini tour player, seeing these stats for, for, you know, I'm 36 now, I think, 36. For me, 10 years ago when I was still trying to play. One of the takeaways I would have, and it's a it's a line you've used in the past, is Chase. You can't sh- one. You can't shoot sixty five on the first tee. You know, I played in a lot of events where 25, 26, 27 under one, and you know, I'd play in the afternoon, and somebody would shoot eight or nine or ten under the first round, and you'd see the leaderboard, and it's like, you got you know, you kind of got to get geared up and get going. And and I, if I could go back, I would have made myself be more patient worked my way into a round and been just fine shooting a bunch of 70s and 69s and 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 just been more patient overall with my game not tried to force the issue so much because i i took on two you know again i I, i've told you i shot 72 62 80 in a tournament one time and it was like i was feast or famine i went at everything and when i was good i could i could take it deep and when i wasn't i couldn't and i i needed to do a better job of managing what what would your you know, a little bit of your takeaway from this be for again for the for the mini tour player or the really good player listening at home. I say it all the time: string one good shot next to another good shot next to another good shot. Yeah. And by that, what I mean is make a good decision and then just try to execute yeah. the shot. That's all you can do is do this one shot at a time. You know, one of the things that I never tried to do was I, I never really wanted to look at. If I played on Thursday afternoon, I never looked at the scores that people were shooting on Thursday morning because I couldn't do anything about that. Sure. I, all I could do something about was that first shot off the first tee. What about, did you ever look at cut line? Uh, only Friday, if I was playing, uh, I needed to, I knew what it was before because I'd read the paper and I knew where the 70 and ties was sure. at. Yeah. So I knew, uh, you know, I needed to know where that was in case I come down to the last hole, but it didn't affect how I was playing you know, hold 19 to 35. Yeah. Might change your, uh, you know, approach if you're on 16, 17, 18 and have to have right. to adjust a little bit. Might have to go for a par five and two that I might not have intended to necessarily, or, you know, might need to make that part, you know, that birdie putt from 15 feet on the last hole. Sure. Um, what about, what's a good takeaway for our high handicap golfers for, for this, you know, a little recap for them too? Well, you know, <laughs> Say, this is redundant, I say it all the time, one shot at a time. Stack one shot on top of another shot on top of another. Don't preconceive some score that you need to shoot. Don't have some overall game plan that you're, you know, other than maybe I want to drive it in the fairway and I want to hit it on the green. Something real simple, you know. Uh, You know, I'll I'll reiterate, you know, during the pandemic, guys, you know, aimed at the middle of the green and shot better scores. Mm I love the when a, a student comes in and they say, you know, I shot my lowest round last time they went out and played. And I love talking to them about that round because always they get that, man, I was locked in. I was I was solid through 12 or 13 holes, 14 holes, like mentally locked in, right? Right. And then they get to 15 or 16 and something happens. Either they hit a great shot or they even hit a kind of a mediocre one. And it's like, oh, man, if 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 I if I can keep this going, if I par out, if I do this, if I do that. 
again, getting too result oriented and not process oriented. And then, the, then that's when the demons start to play around with you a little bit. And it's always fascinating because it happens to us all. It's, it's hard not to, but it's, it's just what we're striving to do. And I, I think for the 10, 15, 20 handicap, again, as we say all the time, take great inventory, figure out where your strengths and weaknesses lie. You, you guys have to do a better job of that. And then the second thing is quit beating yourself up by not hitting wedges to 10 feet on every hole because the, the guys just aren't doing it. It's just yeah. not realistic. No, it's not. You know, there's a lot of milestones in golf. You know, I can remember the, when I was young and trying to break 100 the first time, you know, and just how elated I felt when I broke 100 and how my whole game had to change to break 90. Yeah. And then you start trying to break 80. I mean, then you have to have a complete different sort of game skills and then breaking par is a whole nother ball of wax once you get to that point then you start thinking about breaking course records and you know the development of the mental game all the way through that process and how you handle that and you think back to when you've watched on tv guys that were trying to break 60 and Trust me, they're not trying to – you didn't see any of those guys give up and make bogeys or anything. They just didn't make the birdie on the last hole, or they did. Yeah, that's right. And it, and it goes to – you know, you mentioned the middle game too. It goes to show like 100 to 80 is way more physical than 80 to 70 is and then 70 to 60 is. Oh, my goodness. You know, there's yeah. there's little physical things you can work on, but it's, it's all – how you manage all this stuff, managing expectations, how you manage great, how you manage bad rounds, how you just how you can compose and handle yourself. Yeah, well, you just said it best. When I was trying to break 100 and trying to break 90, I had physical problems that I was trying to overcome. When I started breaking 80 and par, well, then it was more mental yeah. demons that I was trying to overcome than it was physical demons. Sure. Awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun. This was one that uh, we've been talking about doing for a little while now. Um, again, all these stats are available to you. Go to pjtour.com. Um, you can look at any of them. And again, like like it, we, we mentioned earlier too, take a look at your favorite player. Go see what they do great and what they struggle with and whatnot. And you can kind of see how they win and, and, and when they don't win and, and, and the, the you know how they play some of the some of the certain courses better than than say other courses i think it's a great way to you know to see their inventory of their game with you know the the stats that some of you guys don't have access to how as always thank you sir these are fun yeah these are fun i enjoyed it y'all check us out hal sutton golf chase cooper golf uh we're on social media uh was talking to you golfers all the time stay tuned Be the right club today. Yes!